For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Open the non-pearly gates and return to fantastical truth. Thank you for joining us. This podcast from Lorehaven finds truth in fantastic stories applying this truth to the real world that our Redeemer Jesus Christ calls us to serve. I am E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven. And I'm Zachary Russell. Today or later, when you see me on the streets of gold, you can just call me Zach. This is episode 13. What if Jesus promised to redeem not just his people, but his creation? It's part two of our series this month, Epic Resurrection. Earlier, you heard more great resurrection promises from the Bible, such as Romans 8, 18 through 21 in the CSB. In Revelation 21, 1 through 5 in ESV. Zach, these are some of my favorite scripture passages. Uh, they're especially helpful to me in times of grief, uh, either the large griefs that we have or the small griefs. Uh, so far during this pandemic we're in, I've been spared the worst of the grief, uh, so far anyway, uh, during the last uh, challenging month or so. Uh, but I'm in a little bit of grief right now. Uh, and it's a little bit silly, uh, but it's kind of a grief motivated by uh, the demise of a particular element of the creation itself, the same creation itself that the Apostle Paul says is groaning. Uh, I have a tree in my backyard that is now a shell of its former self. Oh no! Uh, it was unfortunately uh, too long rotted from the inside. It had this little swamp around the base of the roots for a long time. It's technically not my tree, but literally while I was making the notes for this episode, some men with large chainsaws and other tools we're just lopping off limbs. Uh, unfortunately, during a storm, a large branch had crashed onto the roof, didn't tear through or anything. So it wasn't hazardous to people, which is the most important thing. But because it has been rotted uh, for so long, a bondage to decay, if you will, the tree folks decided uh, it, was, it was time for it to come down. I didn't plant the tree. It's not my tree. I didn't hug the tree. I'm not some crazy environmentalist. It was growing there for decades, though. It was huge, and especially in uh, in Texas, that's even more of an accomplishment. But it was rotted from within, and it has to go. So I'm I'm in a little bit of grief about that. I can relate. When we first moved here, there was a whole bunch of trees in the green belt behind our house that they cut down. Like I mean, it was like a week after we moved here, and we were like, "What?" But they explained, "Well, these were rotted and." It would just take one spark for them to catch fire and burn your house down. So I thought, okay, I guess they got to go. But then they planted some little trees, which it's, it's been fun to watch those grow. So I can, I can understand what you're going through. Well, it's part of being a steward of creation. I think it would be wrong not to have the impulse of some measure of grief at seeing something that had been growing for so long. That's a staple of fantasy, uh, actually, even uh, Christian fantasy. There's a lot of trees, even literal living trees, in both the worlds of Lewis and Tolkien. And in fact, if you don't care about the trees, if you no longer care to see things grow, then you are on course to become like the mind of metal and wheels wizard Saruman. I think it's good to groan at something that gets lost like that, at part of creation that's been infected, literally corrupted from within. It got infected by rot. And as we heard in that excerpt from Romans 8, Creation itself is infected by the bondage to decay brought about by man's sin. Creation itself groans. It doesn't want to be cut down, but it longs to be set free from the bondage to decay. That's what we're going to talk about in uh, this podcast, which is part two of the Epic Resurrection series. That reference again from Romans 8, 21. 
Uh, the ESV says bondage to corruption, but I like the, the CSB there. And I think the NIV also says bondage to decay. So will creation be set free from this bondage? Hint, yes. But we're going to really enjoy delving as deep as we possibly can, given a limited podcast time. Yeah, we may even explore viruses part of this bondage to decay or in my mind, are viruses from outer space. You know, there's a lot of interesting things that we could speculate about that. We're going to try to keep it as biblical as we can as well, but there's going to be some speculation as well, some fantastical truth, if you will. In our last episode, that was a part one about what if Jesus redeems not only the soul, but also the body. And that is the definition of resurrection, physical resurrection. We made a few concessions then about our, our hope to stay biblical in this discussion our avoidance of materialism and things like that. Uh, we explored the definition of resurrection, uh, biblical and the notions that Christians get. We catch them like memes uh, from TV shows and just imagination that we have, uh, sometimes even sermons. But we saw in scripture how when uh, the apostle Paul promises that we will be raised in spiritual bodies, that still means a material body. doesn't mean you're a ghost or a floating orb or a spiritoid. That would be uh, the more biblical way to look at it is that still, God's creation is still good. The material universe is still good. Any of our speculations about the afterlife must start with that original goodness of creation. We were talking about the human body, and now we're going to talk about uh, everything outside of us, planet Earth, the universe, the creation itself. Steven, since we had that last episode, I started doing this 100 push-up challenge. It's an app on my phone that it, it goes through this routine every other day, and my goodness, I'm not that far into it, and I'm already just like so sore. And I woke up this That's morning. That's bondage to decay. That yes. it is. <clears throat> and I woke up this morning, and my I could barely, I couldn't bend over. I had to stand up straight. So I keep wondering about this. You know, what are our resurrection bodies going to be like in terms of the muscles? You know, are we going to have sore muscles in the resurrection? Are we going to need to exercise? Will we? Will we get to exercise? I know for a lot of people, exercise is therapeutic and you're really missing going to the gym right now uh, or you go for a walk and you know, you have to dodge around all the people that are out. But I, I wonder about this. What is that experience going to be like in the resurrection? I don't think there will be pain, uh, but will we still be able to improve and get stronger? And, you know, I think about, uh, I have some good friends that are bodybuilders. What's, what's their experience going to be like? So listener, if you've thought about that, if you, if you wonder about exercise and resurrection, send us a note. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that. Again, this is one of my favorite, favorite topics, especially as we move outward from the human body and its uh, original created goodness. Let's keep going, though. Let's move outward uh, to the creation itself, uh, presuming all the stuff we talked about in episode one uh, the, of the series. Where do we go from here? When Jesus comes back and remakes our bodies, when he, he resurrects us literally from death, all those who believe in him. What are we going to do all the time? What are we going to do for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun? Do we go to heaven? What happens then? And what most importantly does the scripture say when it promises the new heavens and new earth? So really that the last two words, new earth, we're going to focus a lot on new heavens and new earth, not just the current heaven that's going on right now. Believers go there when they die. We think that they go there immediately and they are with Jesus. They are probably with other Christians, uh, other family members who have died, but they also are waiting for the future resurrection for the new heavens and new earth. Zach, I've got uh, some more piping hot concessions to offer. Just a few more on top of those ones that we went over uh, in the in our last podcast. All right, let's see. All right, hit me with it. Uh, first off, uh, most people, uh, when they hear some of the verses that we're going to explore today, they start thinking about uh, the Christian belief in uh, a millennial kingdom, a literal thousand year period on earth after Jesus's return, but before new heavens and new earth, whatever that means. And, and they'll say, for example, well, these verses are, are just about you know, Israel or they're just about the millennial kingdom. We would suggest, okay, yes, maybe they are. But even if you're one of those Christians who's an amillennialist, do you think it's a spiritual millennium describing the church age or something? Why stop there? Why assume that something so drastically different happens to earth that these verses would no longer apply? I think we're in, uh, in firm territory there presuming that these verses can also apply uh, to the endless, eternal new heavens and new earth. However, uh, just as before, we're going to stay out of the end times debates. In our first episode of this series, Epic Resurrection, 
Uh, we didn't talk so much about a, a rapture belief, a rapture event. It's not because we don't accept it, but because we're just focusing on the resurrection here. Uh, the other concession is uh, the objection, possibly, to emphasizing all these normal aspects of Earth. Like, why do you got to make it so normal? Why do you got to make it so boring? Why talk about running around drinking coffee or you know, maybe training dogs or some normal human activity? The answer to that is because Scripture does that. When Scripture is talking about new heavens and new Earth, it's not talking about spaceships and dragons and whatever amazing stuff we're going to be doing for all of that time. All the miracles, though, are miraculous precisely because they're contrasted with the normal, everyday human stuff that we're surely going to do. So we're going to emphasize the normal stuff first and then talk about maybe some of the amazing, crazy stuff that we could do for Jesus's glory in the new heavens and new earth. And finally, all the other concessions like, uh, no, we're not materialists. And yes, we have the freedom to explore based on scripture, uh, these eternal realities. Uh, those are in our previous podcast episode. Refer you back to there. Definitely be a better place to start uh, instead of going immediately into the second episode of this series. All right. Well, today we're going to explore how scripture promises the future literal renewal, not replacement of creation. We're going to start talking about the normal world and then speculate further. But we're going to try to stay scriptural, focused on King Jesus, who is the architect of the afterworld. And Stephen, I like this, uh, this word here, the afterworld. I actually discovered that I got that from C.S. Lewis. It's the final a word of his introduction to his The Great Divorce. Mm. So I thought that I made it up, but nope. I was rereading The Great Divorce just the other day and realized, oh, that must have been where I got it. What do you know? C.S. Lewis at the back again, the man behind the curtain. Well, that's cool. Talk to me about this first uh, major topic here, that scripture promises a future literal renewal of creation. So a big assumption we make here, and I would call this a, a firmly biblical assumption, is that Jesus has promised not to nuke planet Earth from orbit, not going to send down the fire, and then it burns everything down to the core and then maybe wipes out the whole universe. But that's the only way to be sure. <laughs> that's what I've heard. Perhaps, uh, perhaps in some, some folks' minds, it is the only way to be sure. Perhaps sin is so bad that it has stained the planet all the way down to the molten core. I don't think that way. I don't think the scripture thinks that way. And it's not just a vacuum of biblical promises that make me think that way, but specific promises like in Romans 8, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Uh, there's an Andrew Peterson song, which I love. You, you probably love. I think everybody who hears it loves it called, Is He Worthy? Oh, yeah. Based on that text from Revelation. And it's a call and response song. And there's lots of churches, by the way, that have been singing that now uh, during the, <laughs> our little bondage to uh, relational decay uh, during uh, the month of April. The song, is, he just asks, is all creation groaning? The audience responds, it is. And he says, is a new creation coming? Audience response, it is. I agree. I affirm that a new creation is coming. We have to qualify what we mean by new because new means made new, not obliterated and started over. Romans 8 is the big passage when it says the creation itself. That means here, this planet, this same planet is going to continue in some way into that eternity. There's a one to one correspondence. We ourselves will be resurrected in bodily form so will the creation. It's like a resurrection, a renewal by fire, the scripture says, but it doesn't say it's, it's going away entirely. No text says that the man's sin ruined creation permanently. By contrast, Revelation 21 directly says that new heavens will touch down to new earth. There's the image of new Jerusalem landing, as it were, on the planet. Old Testament texts also, like Isaiah 60 and 65 through 66, promise that future life of God's people in very earthly terms. And in response, though, Christians kind of ignore that, or maybe we think it's only limited to the millennial kingdom and we drift into believing other things instead. Zach, have you ever heard of the idea that 2 Peter 3.10, which refers to the judgment fire, uh, means that earth is going to be destroyed? It says that all the earth's works on it will be burned up says the earth will be burned up is the is the two words that are used there yeah i've heard people talk about well does that mean the louvre is going to be burned up or you know all the great works of the literature are going to be toast hollywood will burn down which you know a lot of people probably wouldn't shed a tear over yeah i have heard that sentiment before that everything will be just vaporized 
Well, in our next episode, the conclusion of this series, the Epic Resurrection series, uh, we're going to talk more about what exactly may happen to the cultural works of people. But in this case, it's focusing on the creation itself. Does that mean that the Grand Canyon is going to burn up? Uh, that uh, the Arctic ice will burn up? All, all the sea creatures, like all of that going to be just, just done away with, just completely obliterated? Yeah, like I, I've heard about that passage that every mountain will be laid low, every, every valley will be lifted up. People think there'll be no more Rocky Mountains, you know, or right. there'll be no more Grand Canyon. He'll just, he'll just t- scoop up the Rocky Mountains and just dump them in the Grand Canyon and everything will be flat. And we'll notice that actually, if you read that verse in the ESV or other translations, the the verse of Second Peter three ten, it says, "quote But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." End quote. Notice the translation says "exposed" there. Other translations say "laid bare." The image there is that not of a fire that is obliterating or annihilating but refining. There was an older translation that had burned up and that word, uh, that phrase made it into the King James version. No slight against the KJV, but it is based on less reliable manuscripts. And in the imaginations of some well-meaning Christians who want to follow the Bible, that phrase burned up has done some harm. There is, however, no biblical or logical reason to nuke the whole planet from the orbit and replace it with something else, either either another physical planet Earth that's completely different, uh, no material continuity between one to the other, uh, or some uh, floating spiritoid dimension, imaginary ghosty heaven uh, that we might have as a a meme. Uh, The prophecies in the Old Testament and New Testament I've seen emphasize the continuity. That means I don't think that God's going to scoop up the Rocky Mountains and push them into the Grand Canyon. Even the texts that talk about the mountains being leveled and things like that seem to be possibly metaphorical, talking about such a shakeup of the natural order that, as uh, Peter would describe it, the heavens will pass away with a roar. So we've got an issue if we think that uh, Earth is going to just completely be obliterated, because why then would the Apostle Peter say the heavens would pass away? We're getting a new heavens and new Earth, but one way or another, both of those are not destroyed and replaced, but they are revitalized. They're renewed. They're made new. And then as Revelation 21, one through five says, they are unified and the dwelling of God is with man. The thing that makes it clear to me, and this is kind of an analogy and you got to be careful with analogies, but I think it's a pretty good analogy is that when Jesus was resurrected, he still had holes in his hands and he said, look, feel my scars. Like it's, it's me. Jesus was not given an entirely new body. And like you said, a replacement, his body was renewed. And so I think that's a pretty good picture of what, first of all, what we're going to see with our own bodies and that we're literally promised that. But I think that's also what's going to happen with creation. Do you think that holds up, Stephen? I think it does, particularly because Christ's resurrection is such, it it is the sole template for our resurrection. And as we talked about in our last episode, that still means that Jesus is divine. He, he is still not just the son of man, but son of God. He is that one person, the God man. So he may have powers and abilities and maybe even the special exemption to keep his scars because it is so important to continue to show that evidence of his death. Whereas we may not have our scars, but wouldn't there be some scars we want to hold on to because the story was so good? You know, either it was a funny story or maybe it was a more profound story. Now, I'm sure we'll have you know, missing limbs and all of that restored to us, and we won't have any heart issues or any other health issues at all. They would be ludicrous to suppose that we would. But yes, Christ's resurrection means that we ourselves will be resurrected, but it will be we ourselves. And so the creation itself will surely pass through such a similar transition. Uh, when Scripture, for example, says new earth, uh, author Randy Alcorn, who wrote uh, the book uh, Heaven, a nonfiction book. It's uh, really helped me out with this topic. Uh, he goes through and he talks about how Christians will read a lot into the word new. And then we'll say, well, that means that it's completely new. There are no molecules from this creation that survive into the next creation. I mean, there's certainly no Louvre and other human achievements like that, but there's also no Grand Canyon. There's also now Mount Everest or Pacific Ocean. Like Everything is just completely new. However, uh, I need to read just a bit from uh, his book, Heaven, uh, page 158, actually, where he says, quote, by calling the new earth earth, 
God emphatically tells us that it will be earthly and thus familiar. Otherwise, why call it earth? When scripture speaks of a new song, do we imagine it's wordless, silent, or without rhythm? Of course not. Why? Because then it wouldn't be a song. If I promised you a new car, would you say, if it's new, it probably won't have an engine, transmission, doors, wheels, stereo, or upholstery? If a new car didn't have these things, it wouldn't be a car. If we buy a new car, we know it will be a better version of what we already have, our old car. Likewise, the new earth will be a far better version of the old earth. The word new is an adjective describing a noun. The noun is the main thing. A new car is first and foremost a car. A new body is mainly a body. A new earth is mainly an earth. The new earth will not be a non-earth, but a real earth. The earth spoken of in scripture is the earth we know with dirt, water, rocks, trees, flowers, animals, people, and a variety of natural wonders. An earth without these would not be an earth. End quote. Zach, that also uh, challenges a little catchphrase, one of those memes that Christians of goodwill will repeat to one another and they'll put in our songs and our devotionals and things like that. The phrase that goes, this world is not my home. If, if by saying world, they mean this age is not my home, this age of groaning, of sin, and man rebelling against God, I agree. Let's get out of here. But if they mean world to say planet, like this, this world with its stuff, the material world, if they mean that world is not my home, I'm just passing through and I'm going to become a spiritoid instead, I would disagree with that. So it really just depends on what imaginative pictures we load into that phrase. Yeah. Well, and then, and then of course, there's some of us that say, well, I don't want to be on this planet. I just want to be on another planet like uh, Kepler-16b, the planet with two suns, or TRAPPIST-1e, the one of seven planets. You know, There's a lot of us that uh, probably want to think about all the other planets, but you're right. This planet, this the, the planet Earth, is our future home, and it is not just a metaphor. It is a physical planet that's always going to exist, just in a new form. So I, I really like that book, Stephen, uh, Rainey Alcorn's book. I am definitely going to have to read that. So why is this so, so important, though, Stephen, that to imagine our afterlife more biblically? Well, first off, it's obedience to God. Uh, he's not above making these direct promises to us. Behold, I am making all things new, he says. When he says all things, I agree with him. When he says, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, uh, speaking uh, through the, the words of the apostle John there. I'm going to accept that. I'm going to believe that. It doesn't violate any scripture to believe that. And it isn't as vulnerable to idolatry as people think. Uh, there's another meme we talked about a little bit in our last episode, which says, uh, don't be so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. Well, that's a nice phrase. And I think it is true if someone is just escapist and is thinking about some other world or some other existence instead of the life they've been given. But I think even when people think that way, I mean, they're hoping for something better. And what they're really hoping for, even if they don't know it, is this world made better, this world resurrected in a sense and under the perfect and holy and loving rule of King Jesus. That, however, is being both heavenly minded and earthly minded. Scripture doesn't divide them like people do. To imagine our afterlife more biblically, it keeps us from accepting uh, nonsensical views or harmful views, materialistic views or spiritualistic views about what heaven's going to be like. And Zach, for me, when I really started getting into this, I think it was in the mid 2000s, this practice of biblical imagination about new earth lights up normal life on this earth. I start to see things like that tree getting cut down as something that I wish couldn't have happened, but you know what? I appreciate that tree more, not as an environmentalist or a tree hugger, but as a steward of creation or a future steward of creation. I wanted that tree to continue. It was okay to cut it down. It was good to cut it down if I needed the wood, even if it wasn't corrupt. But instead of seeing the whole world as something disposable, I think we start to see creation is truly belongs to God. Yeah, it's precious. God made all of this. It is precious. Absolutely. And humans, of course, are the most precious of all, more precious than the animals, more precious than the fish and the oceans and the trees and all of that. But instead of seeing this thing as just a container uh, that we throw away and then we just get the souls and God's word that lasts forever, uh, we see this as a star attraction 
God's creation is meant to be valuable instead of seeing our world as boring. Uh, if we start to see more of these everyday delights as things that glorify God, especially when they're received with thanksgiving by people who belong to Jesus. Psalm 24, one says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's no expiration to that promise. Uh, God doesn't let go of creation because the devil took it away or sin took it away. The apostle Paul uh, quotes this verse uh, when he is talking to Christians, he's assuring us about the goodness of the creation. And if all creation is God's now and forever, the best part maybe here is that we are motivated to holiness. This is an imagination that doesn't lead us away from God into our own imaginations, away from his will, but toward his will, if we're keeping it grounded in scripture, that also helps us to fight that Gnostic impulse. You know, the old cliche of you know, you're being a Monday through Saturday uh, Christian who only goes to church on Sundays and you're only a Sunday Christian, actually, is how, how that catchphrase goes. That's not true. God owns Monday through Sunday, everything in our lives, our spiritual lives and our material lives, because it's all the same to him. All the fullness thereof is God's. And it also helps us to reject that little soft uh, nihilistic view that God will fail to save his creation. He can only pull the souls out and that's, that's the best he's got. You know, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, he would have gotten a hold on to creation, but otherwise, nope, got lost. God doesn't lose when we understand that he owns earth forever and will keep it forever. God wins. You know, something occurred to me just now, Stephen, you mentioned Gnosticism and materialism. And really those spring from the same error, which you pointed out, which is separating the spiritual from the material and sort of prioritizing one over the other. A Gnostic would say that only the spiritual matters and a materialist would say only the physical matters. And both of those are, it's like they're in competition with each other, but they're really the same thing. It's, it's taking the spiritual from the physical and saying they don't belong together. And I, I like how you're pointing out that God, even though God is spirit, he made a physical world and he's making it new. And we are physical and spiritual beings at once, and we are not going to be divorced from that in the future. We are going to have a physical place to live. So let's talk about, though, what you said that, uh, you know, sin has infected the world. So what is the world going to be like without sin? Is it just going to be boring? Well, it starts off sounding boring, maybe, uh, to folks who maybe are accustomed to thinking in terms of epic movies and starships and fantastic creatures and other worlds, maybe even other dimensions and time travel and stuff. And I understand I love going there. And we're going to go there in a little bit, actually. You know, why, why wouldn't New Earth have these things? I'm, I'm the first to say, absolutely, other galaxies, maybe even some kind of time travel, great, sign me up. Nothing in scripture is against those kinds of amazing, daily, miraculous occurrences. But let's not skip the normal stuff the normal created order stuff that God also directly promises in scripture. Let's start with imagining based on scripture, what a renewed material universe purged of sin is going to be like new earth is earthly. And we start there. I don't think we finish there. In fact, Zach will probably agree that I think once Jesus comes back and we get our new heavens and new earth, that's when the space program really takes off. Even if we get on outer space, we're also going to really want to come back and just smell the flowers, <laughs> the natural growing flowers on the home planet, the base of operations, New Jerusalem, capital, not just the planet Earth. Yeah, the hydroponics of, bay is not going to cut it. No, it won't. Although I imagine we'll have portals or some kind of miraculous means of travel. Anyway, God doesn't talk about all that stuff in the scripture. He talks about farming. He talks about people growing their own grapes. He talks about uh, you, you building your houses and kings bringing their goods into New Jerusalem. Like there's some human cultural stuff there, and we'll get into more of that in our next episode. So that's the main argument for why we talk about the boring parts, just to realize they're, they're not boring. They're human. And if we think they're boring now, then maybe we do need to recover that sense of delight that like God made this, God owns it. His ordinary creation is amazing. And if you don't think so when you look in your backyard and watch a nature documentary where they're taking cameras down deep, deep, deep into the ocean or into the rural uh, or the remote uh, parts of Antarctica or something. It is incredible what God has made. And then also from an imaginative perspective, 
if you try to remove all the limits and make things as amazing all the time as you possibly can, then I think it's like playing a symphony with only the crescendos. Uh, you've got to have those ordinary moments of the art in order to appreciate the crescendos, the ordinary stuff, the hero who's not using his superpowers all the time is what gives the super powerful moments even more meaning. You know, I, I think what uh, that impulse of saying it's going to be boring comes from is this idea that uh, a good story contains conflict. Uh, that's the basic, you know, story formula. And you can only have conflict when there's sin. And so if there's no sin, there's no conflict, there's no story, therefore it's going to be boring. But what kind of conflict or challenges do you think could exist? Or what, what do you think would make the story of the resurrected earth interesting? I'm definitely incidentally drawing from Alcorn here, although I give it my own little spin. I think that you don't necessarily need sin or an enemy to make every story interesting. We get a little hint in some of the stories that we enjoy where the opposition is not a person or an evil, but is just the possibility of not succeeding. For example, you could have a movie, a sports drama set in the new heavens and new earth that would probably be just as interesting and as human as a sports drama that's set in the old earth. Because I think that in the new earth, the sports team could possibly lose. And then you'd go off and you'd get your app and you'd do your 100 push-ups challenge and you'd get good. And then maybe you'd come back and you'd win the big game. And the only difference is, at least if it's a Christian sports movie, you wouldn't have a salvation scene there because everybody's saved and they already understand that actually, you know, sports is nice, but what really matters is that you know Jesus. In New Earth, everybody knows Jesus, but you would still have a drama there. You would still have opposition. It would be just friendly opposition, you know, and no players would get into fights or anything like that. Uh, because everybody would still be redeemed. I think that that is where the conflict, if you call it, it's not conflict though. It's just challenge. And the same thing, if you're like maybe trying to build a spaceship or something like that, you're going to do experiments. You're going to fail. I don't think that you succeed at everything you try in new heavens and new earth. You've got eternity to work out your equations and the mechanisms of your warp drive or whatever you're putting together. I think that that kind of challenge will continue. It won't be that we just suddenly know everything. And ultimately, we wouldn't want to. It'd be like playing a video game in God mode all the time. All the cheat codes turned on. It's fun at first, but it's only fun because you know what the challenge is already. If you started playing the game that way, it wouldn't be any fun. It would actually be boring. I hear this phrase a lot. I went to a fight and saw a hockey match. <laughs> and, you know, if we have any listeners from... The North part of the U.S. or Canada, I don't mean to insult hockey, but it's just a phrase I hear a lot. And I think that's what a lot of people expect in certain sports is that it's really about the violence and the sport itself is sort of incidental. And Stephen, I like this picture that you painted that we're going to have sports games that have no fouls or penalties or yellow cards or ejections or, uh, or any of that kind of conflict, but there's still going to be, you know, the challenge of winning a game or the challenge of solving a problem but you know you're going to work together you know with other people and not have office drama and not have interpersonal conflict with your boss and so that's um it's an amazing thing to think about going back to the natural world the thing that i think about a lot is how there won't be violence within the natural world um, my wife and kids have been watching dolphin reef on disney plus and my five-year-old daughter loves sharks but then she was kind of shocked at one point to see sharks trying to eat all the fish, <laughs> seeing that with her eyes and not just kind of imagining it. And then they love to see how all the other fish and animals were, were trying to work together to evade the sharks. But then something that really shocked my wife was to see the dolphins fighting each other. And she thought, why are, you know, why don't the dolphins get along? Aren't they all, aren't they all team dolphin, <laughs> you know, against the shark? It's and, the smartest mammal. It's the smartest creature. Right. How could they do this? <laughs> and then, of course, we're all just familiar with violence between the animal world and the human world in, in both directions. So then, Stephen, I thought about this passage from Isaiah 11, which says, quote, An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. 
for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water, end quote. You know, my five-year-old, she loves all the dangerous animals and her favorite, she has like these, you know, like all kids have these stuffed animals, we call them cuddlies, but her favorite cuddly is this giant (laughs) snake that she keeps in her bed. It's like a, like a fuzzy kind of rainbow colored snake. And so I think about this, Stephen, that in the future, she's going to have a real snake as a pet, a cobra, you know, <laughs> and maybe a lot of them, and they're not going to harm her. I mean, I can't even imagine that. What, what do you, what other kind of animals do you think about playing with? Well, the awesome ones that I see on the BBC Earth documentaries, of course, the dangerous sea creatures, you know, the lions, the tigers, but also extinct animals. I am almost certain they are coming back. I don't know whether God will make new creatures, like fantastical creatures, like griffins, for example. I'd love to see me some griffins in the new heavens and new earth. But I'm almost convinced that at one point, dragons really did exist, or at least dinosaurs with perhaps some kind of combustible head thing going on. I would really like to think so anyway. That's oh, just me too. That, I'm, I'm not, I'm not claiming that I'm not getting some crazy, bizarre history channel. It's all ancient aliens type stuff here, (laughs) but we know that dinosaurs existed. We know God made them and whatever you believe about dinosaurs, that's a future podcast. But we also know that they are all gone uh, unless you uh, go in for the Loch Ness monster theories or uh, what's what's the creature supposedly still running around in Africa that some people think could be a, a brachiosaur or something. I'm pretty sure the dinosaurs are coming back. And so that alone even before you start talking about spaceships and other dimensions and the wilder new earth speculations, just having the dinosaurs back would be epic Jurassic world folks. Only there's no need for fences. And even if we had them, they never get turned off. Uh, The dinosaurs (laughs) are not going to breed and then go out of control and cause 1993 mayhem. Uh, They're all going to be under the rulership of King Jesus. And even apart from the creatures though, like it's still wrapping up. The idea of normal new earth is still being epic. Scripture does promise that for all who believe in Jesus, they will all be united. Every ancestor you've known or ever knew, or a family member who believed in Jesus, maybe even believed in him at the last minute, you never know, they will be there. The stories that we will get to share and even communing with Old Testament and New Testament saints and getting all those little behind the scenes information, all the questions answered and the camaraderie and the love and like you said the lack of the drama and bad drama and all of that that itself will be incredible and well worth rejoicing in now and living for overtly before we even start talking about the crazy fantastical speculative uh, destiny that we're we're going to enjoy okay but let let me ask you a really important question that I, i'm sure i'm not the only one thinking this is there going to be bacon I'm so going to link to one of those bacon and new earth articles because I, I feel like there's been like half a dozen of them or something. <laughs> so I'm, I'm loath to try to top one of them, uh, Al- Alcorn at least, you know, because people think, oh, he's the heaven answer man. You know, they, they've written to him about all of their questions. Will there be coffee in new earth? What about pizza? You know, they just go through the whole golden corral buffet and ask about each item. Uh, yes, I'm certain there will be bacon, even if it doesn't actually come from dead pigs. Uh, one way or another, we're going to get that flavor, that item and it's going to be on our salads and we'll be able to put it on our cheeseburgers and the cheeseburgers might be grown somewhere i don't know if no you're not allowed to kill animals on on new earth i don't think you're getting natural meat anymore say say what you will about sacrifices in the millennial kingdom if we bring those back even ceremonially but i I don't think that in new heavens and new earth uh, in anything anything that can actually think uh that is some way sentient I, i don't think you're gonna have animal death anymore Yeah, this is something I wonder about a lot because Jesus ate fish after he was resurrected. Well, fish aren't, uh, fish don't think. Yeah, (laughs) fish are okay. You can kill all the fish you like in New Heavens and Earth. We don't know. It's speculation. We we really don't know. You know, what happens if you step on a bug? Are the resurrected bugs immortal? I kind of doubt that. Maybe (laughs) bugs are just little machines, you know. They don't see a whole lot of PETA action to uh, to protect the cockroaches. Yeah, this is something, though, I have talked a, a lot about with Indian students, like students from India. I don't, I don't know if it's the majority, but most people I've met from India do not eat meat at all and they don't eat animal products even. And so they have a hard time considering Christianity, considering we all eat bacon, for example, and, and hamburgers and bacon hamburgers. You know, when you look at Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they were only given vegetables 
the, the vegetable world and animals were only given the vegetable world to eat. But then an, an animal was slain to give them uh, clothing. And then, then we have the whole eating meat thing after the fall and after the flood, especially. So I've said to them, look, I, God originally made this world where, where humans and animals did not eat each other. So I think we're going to go back to that original design in the resurrection. That's, that's my best guess anyway. Well, my best guess is that humans will no longer be eating each other. That that's an almost assured <laughs> no, no in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, cannibalism is wrong as a, a semi-famous band once sang. Might link that in the show notes, just in case. Controversial take about there. That. Especially in a pandemic. Yes. Uh, so brave, much courageous, stunning as well as brave. Uh, I think why not have then a bacon tree, you know, there's a little bacon shaped fruit hanging down. Okay. So this sounds a little silly, but seriously, if there's no other time when you can go nuts, imagining the amazing, uh, new things that Jesus could do, even on a new earth that is actual earth, this is the time to do it. This is the time to go a little bit nuts, have fun, laugh at yourself, but always keep it biblical for sure. Do you want to talk about space travel now, Zach? What do you want to do in the space travel? Oh man, well, we, we, this is a whole episode or series of episodes, but you know, Stephen, I have an app on my phone that alerts me when a new planet is discovered somewhere in the universe or in the, in the Milky Way galaxy. And then, you know, they start to look at, well, is this planet in the so-called habitable zone, or as I like to think of it, the temperate zone where liquid water could exist. And they say, okay, is the planet, you know, the same size as the earth? And is it around a star that's like our sun and you know they found a few of these not a whole lot that there's four thousand other planets that we know of so far they think every star in the milky way has a planet at least but you know we're still out for that to find that elusive second earth you know a planet that is exactly like ours and that does host life or that could uh, man, I wonder about this so much, Stephen. I wonder when when God created life on Earth, did He create it elsewhere? Because He's obviously made a lot of other planets. So, are they just decoration in the sky, or does He have a purpose for us in the future to go discover them? I think He does. I think there's going to be the ability to travel to other planets, uh, as you've said in the in the afterworld. I even think it could be possible for before Jesus comes back. We might disagree on that. I guess we'll see if Elon Musk gets people to Mars and what happens after that. Although I think Mars is just a dead end. I don't think anything's really going to happen there. But I think there's going to be a lot of exploring of the Milky Way. I think God loves when we explore his creation. And I've thought about this where, you, you know, it's just so simple. Um, we we love to create and we love to explore other people's creations and God and because we are made in God's image. He's a creator and he loves for us to see more and more of his creation. So I think there's there's definitely going to be some space travel out there. Well, this would glorify him. Uh, there, there's an old line that says, what, what if, if, if there is a God, why did you make the universe so large? Uh, there's actually, it was fairly recently, there was a Twitter atheist or something. Never heard of any of those before. <laughs> and he was, he made a point like that. And you know, all the, all the snarky Christians just go basically, yeah, uh, duh, it's there. It magnifies his name. Like we actually, this is a basic Christian answer for that. Even if we never were to touch down on any of the planets orbiting these stars, their very existence and beauty magnifies the Lord and the firmament shows his handiwork. That's the purpose for which they exist. But why would we not also go there? I think some of the ideas about terraforming and colonization and all of that now, if we ever get anywhere close to that, it's going to be very limited because everything you do in outer space is going to kill you. And even just existing out there, the radiation is probably going to get you one way or another. But in resurrected bodies, even though you'll probably still need oxygen, all other limits are off. You can't die. If you get caught outside without a pressure suit, it's going to be an inconvenience, not mortal peril. And that's going to be amazing. Still the element of challenge, not just to develop the scientific technology to enable the, those kinds of uh, speeds that would be required to get to these other worlds, certainly outside the solar system. So there's drama there. It's not going to be easy. I don't think we'll just be able to apparate all the way over to Neptune, but it's still amazing to imagine what we could do with unlimited time 
not unlimited resources, but certainly less limited than they are now. And the motivation not to escape a dying world or to beat the Russians or do something just to bolster national pride, but to get out there and visit the planet, colonize the planet, develop new means of getting to other planets, expanding the kingdom outward. I don't think that when it says the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, I don't think that's going to be limited to the earth. Imagine the glory going outward, 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 and with the universe forever expanding, as most people believe it still is, so will the kingdom forever expand. That's amazing to contemplate, even before you start thinking about time travel or fantasy creatures or any other remote fantasy possibilities like that. So all of that is super fun to speculate about, and we haven't even talked about whether or not angels will be visible or whether miracles will be daily events. If there are miracles, and I'm sure there will be, then I'm sure it's still going to break into that normal creation order, just like Jesus did, and therefore it's still going to be special. But it's also going to be something that we see every day, uh, even in God's providential oversight of the universe. Few cautions here as we wrap up, though. None of our imaginations in New Earth should ever be justifying sin here. Do not lock yourself in a room and dream about what Jesus is going to do for creation. However, we see Jesus running New Earth in the future is exactly how we ought to picture him running our lives now. Any of this should be helping you to battle sin, to be realizing how absurd that sin is. None of those things, if we give ourselves over to them, none of the addictions, the excuses, our greed, our lusts, none of that makes sense if they last forever. It would ultimately destroy us, just like something like a virus. If we didn't get that under control, it would ultimately destroy us. None of that makes any sense. Only Christ's rulership over planet Earth makes sense for the redeemed imagination. And anything we imagine about new heavens and new earth should always focus on King Jesus. He's the centerpiece. He is the architect of the new heavens and new earth. And he's the only person in whom we can find that perfect happiness. Everything we do then will be to worship him, not just our creative works uh, or his creative works, but anything that we make, anything we do, the stories we tell and enjoy, all of those will be to worship him then, and they should be the same now. And of course, Zach, that's where we're going to pick up uh, with the conclusion of this series, episode three of the Epic Resurrection series on Fantastical Truth, asking the question about, okay, if Jesus redeems creation, then what's going to happen to our creations, the stuff we make? Really looking forward to that one. Well, this has been a great discussion today, Stephen. I think it's a really good counterpoint to this meme I've been seeing around the Twitters, which is maybe we're the virus. Because look at how nature is healing without humans going outside or driving their cars or whatever. And it, it's kind of this belief that, oh, you know, the coronavirus is actually the cure and humans are the disease. And, you know, maybe that's something we could talk about more specifically sometime. But I really like this whole point that the problem is sin and a future is coming where there is an earth that is purged of sin, but still full of humans and full of wonderful animals and other things. And we're all going to enjoy a glorious experience together. Well, let's go into our fantastic fans segment. So we got a new subscriber to Lorehaven magazine uh, named Tehan. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who says, quote, love the podcast. I've been looking for something like this for a while. Thank you. End quote. Well, thank you, Tehan. Next, we got a review on Apple Podcasts from Pete Train, who says, quote, This is a great podcast that deals with Christianity and fictional art. This podcast will not only help you to think biblically about the stories you read, but will also expose you to some good Christian writers. Thanks to Pop Culture Quorum Deo Podcast for introducing me to this podcast. End quote. I want to thank uh, our friends uh, Jeff and my co-author Jared Moore over there at the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. I commend that to you for uh, a good uh, freestyle discussion, but also really great biblical discernment of popular culture, not just fantasy stories or works by Christians, but any kind of popular culture that they're into. And last, we have a quote from Autumn, who read our article on speculative faith about episode 10, which was, how can Christian fiction help us keep our faith? And she says, quote, Deconversion stories often follow similar patterns, regardless of what people are converting to or from. They might start out with one belief system and may or may not have doubts about it. 
but eventually they have problems, questions, or painful experiences, and then attach themselves to whatever relieves those questions or stresses. And since the pattern has many similarities regardless of belief system, a deconvergence story doesn't automatically prove one belief system wrong or right, which unfortunately a lot of people don't realize, end quote. And we'll try to link to that full comment. Uh, she had some good things to say about that episode about deconversion or deconstruction of the Christian faith uh, with a little uh, less self-awareness about deconstructing the deconstruction story itself. By the way, I've noticed, Zach, uh, that uh, sometimes the deconverters who think that they need to get rid of Christianity because of some bad experiences or bad beliefs, sometimes it can help to review the New Earth teaching, uh, the teaching that Jesus has promised to not only take us all to heaven, but then to come back and transform this paradise or this earth into a paradise. Former Christians, if we can accept that title, uh, presume they were taught that this world and all of its cultures and its people don't really matter for eternity but studying the real biblical promises is a great way to help strengthen your faith as well. That's a great point. And to you, our listener, what do you anticipate about living forever on new earth? Send your thoughts to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on the website. We would love to hear from you. You can also subscribe to that free quarterly digital magazine, Lorehaven. We review the best Christian made fantastical fiction we could find. And if you're listening to this before the end of the month of April, 2020, we are actually giving away two digital versions of Tosca Lee's pandemic thriller novel, The Line Between. Uh, that'll be a random drawing for anyone who just happens to have that free email subscription to the magazine. Stephen, what are we going to talk about next on Fantastical Truth? We are going to wrap up the Epic Resurrection series after having explored how Epic Resurrection brings to life our biblical hopes for our own bodies, if we are in Jesus Christ and leads us to hope for the renewal of this same planet Earth and the whole universe, the creation itself. We're going to go to part three and finish, because after all, if you bring back God's creation forever, what about humans' creations forever? We've talked about the possibilities of science and spaceships that humans may put together, so we've already crossed over a little bit into that discussion about human culture, but what about the art side of human culture? The books, the music, the stories, the poems, the websites, the TV shows, and the podcasts. Like you were asking earlier, Zach, will these things get burned up in that purifying fire that God will send to the planet? Uh, this time we're going to link this journey along with your journey as a Christian fan of amazing stories of that fantastical fiction. And we're going to draw that to a close, but open things up for even more delightful biblical based, we hope, exploration. Can't wait for that one. For now, though, let's try seeing even the normal daily lives, even the creation itself around us in the light of resurrection. Let's worship Jesus more for his promises and seek his holiness and his truth. We're going to keep on with that eternal quest to seek and find fantastical truth. <laughs>